That's uh, kind of pitiful. Come on, let's try, let's, let's try that again. Good morning. There you go. There's some life. There's some breath in there. And listen, God is breathing life into this place. And so uh, if you got it, you, you, you share it. All right. That's just how it is. And uh, again, uh, it's neat to see God at work and God providing. And I've watched God, I mean, in ways um, provide for this church uh, with the Ravens. Um, not specifically Ravens, but just like outside things coming in, kind of like when God took care of Elijah. And, and I just I just believe it's a conviction that I got. God has a very specific purpose and a plan for, for this body of believers. Um, and he wants us here. And he wants to use us um, to minister here in West Plano and really um, through this greater Dallas area. And, um, and I'm just, I'm pretty amazed at um, what God has done and the answers to prayers. When we started, we started the month of May, $30,000 in the hole. That makes preacher nervous, okay? Just to be truthful, all right? Um, but our God's a great God, and He provides. And, and you've, uh, uh, the, just God's people have stepped up, and then God's brought in provision from other places. I've had surprises that I did not expect from, um, from past relationships that I had, and, um, um, and just other things that just like we just never saw it coming. And that's just God doing what God does, all right? So, uh, we gotta, but, but you know, you gotta, um, I need you to stay with this with me, all right? Uh, you've, you've given. You've given monetarily. Or I'm assuming you have because so much has been given. Um, but, but a new phase is going to be coming, all right? Uh, God, is, God has plugged the holes in the ship because uh, he, he wants to sail this boat uh, here in this North Dallas area. Um, and we're going to be picking up people along the way, all right? You've got to shift gears to where you are getting ready that when God brings people... That, that we are ready to help them walk with God. You've got to shift from being a consumer to becoming a, a producer, uh, to becoming a, a giver. Um, and, uh, and not just giving of monies, but giving your time, giving the knowledge that God has given you, giving uh, the stories that God has given you. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that we're coming up in the fall, and I'm pretty excited about this, all right? And I'll tell you this, and I'm going to repeat it later on, because it's, uh, as people are on vacation, they're going to need to hear, um, but what's going to happen, all right? You're going to see this. Um, that new sign's going to go up, and instead of, uh, Labrate Recovery, you know, if, if, if you, if you're coming down this way on park, that's what you see. You see this broken sign, um, they're going to see that, that there's a church here. Um, in October, we want to do some more tree trimming when it's actually a good time to do that with trees. Thank you, Mr. Chapman, for helping somebody who doesn't know, know how not to kill trees. Because uh, we could have done that um, if you just charge off, you know, at that pastor's orders. You just go cut trees. Um, no, we're going to do that in October. But what's going to happen is people are going to start driving by. They've driven down park probably for years and never noticed that there's a church here. All right. And probably they're going to probably be. Uh, you know, by, by January, they're going to start thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to stop in. All right. And so we got a little bit of time to get ready, but I want you to get ready with me. All right. And I've put this goal out there, too. I would love I think we as Christians have more reason to celebrate Christmas than anybody else. All right. People who try to sell stuff to you celebrate it pretty big because they're trying to capitalize on that. Um, but I would love to someday. It might not happen this year. All right. But to but to have so many lights up that it just it that that 
we would be as pretty as what they do over there at Legacy West. I saw that in December. That's just really beautiful what they do with the lights. Hey, let's do that too, okay? So I'm setting that goal out there. But when that happens, all right, it's just going to draw attention. And uh, people are going to come in and they're going to find a place that's genuine, that's not pretentious, that is devoted to God's word. We let God's word say what it says. And we don't apologize for what God says because he's God. We're not. He's the one who's got the words of life and we're we're good to be near it. OK, and um, and find a place that uh, people are going to know your name, know your story. All right. Uh, God's plan, as much as what he's told me, is Willow Bend's not going to be a mega church, but we're going to be an effective church at helping people grow and walking with Jesus. All right. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. So a lot to celebrate. And um, anyway, and uh, good, good singing, good worship today. I love that story of Come Thou Fount. Um, one of my favorite stories of, of all the hymns that are out there. Um, as, he, uh, as he just sits there and sings, um, Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. He says, uh, Come Thou Fount, Lord, of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. I'm a, I'm a, a novice guitarist. I understand tuning. I want it. God, get me in tune. May when, when the words of my mouth are being played, may it be in tune with what's on your heart. Tune my heart to yours. That's, that's a great prayer. That's a prayer. So we're talking about um, the comeback. Um, your life is on a comeback. This church is on a comeback. And that's our, that's our, our summer series this week. The God of the comeback. Um, if you're not currently in a comeback at some point in life, you will need a comeback. Um, I used to do uh, the sport of boxing. That was what uh, my sport I, I ended up with in high school. Don't be impressed. That was a long time ago, okay? Um, but if you were to liken life to a boxing match, all of us get hit. All of us, we take our share of shots. All of us will get knocked down from time to time. I love the, the old Rocky movies. And in the sixth Rocky movie, Rocky gives a speech to his son. And he says this. He says, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Now, I find his words meaningful. And I would agree that life can hit you pretty hard at times. And, and life is going to come at you like a boxer, trying to hit you. And, and, if, and if that being the case, you would do well to develop what we boxers call a good counterpunch. Uh, let me explain this idea of the counterpunch, because that's my sermon series, my, my message for us today is God's counterpunch. Um, a counterpunch... If you're unfamiliar with the sport of boxing, in a boxing match, you get in a, in a ring with a fella or gal nowadays, because the sports have turned into that, and that's fine. Um, and this person is going to come at you, and they are going to try to hurt you by hitting you. And you know this. And just knowing this, you can turn that into a strategy um, for your advantage. Because you're in this ring, and running away is not an option. And... Um, to just turtle up and cover, that's really not fun. Uh, I can tell you this from my experience in boxing. Boxing is, a, is a really a fun sport if you're winning. 
If you're losing, it is no fun at all, right? Um, but you don't want to just cover up and be a punching bag for somebody. Um, knowing that your opponent is going to try to punch you, you could use that to your advantage. See, when you see somebody throw a punch, whenever somebody throws a punch, they leave parts of their body open. You have an opportunity to hit back in that. That's what the counter punch is. You want to move in such a way that they, as they try to hurt you, they miss, and for their attempt at hurting you, you hurt them back. That's what the counter punch is. Um, there's a nice picture of it. You see a guy, he's punching at a guy's head. The guy ducks, and now he's about to hit him in the ribs. That's the concept of a counter punch. Um, with a counter punch, you take what was designed to hurt or damage you, and you turn it into an advantage for yourself. In my brief time in the Golden Gloves, counterpunching became my favorite strategy. Because I would just, I would protect myself. I would move around and I would wait for the other guy to make a mistake or to be off balance. And then I would capitalize it. I also figured out that if I counterpunched a guy often enough, that as they tried to hit me and they missed and they got hit and returned, they eventually stopped trying to hit me, which was okay by me. Right? Look, in life, things are going to happen to you. You'll lose jobs. You'll get sick. You'll be disappointed by people. You may be even be betrayed. Accidents will happen. Family members will hurt you. People will misunderstand you. And, and all of these things are meant to hurt. But I'm here to tell you that when your life belongs to God, that things that are meant to hurt you those things can be utilized for your good. You see, our God is a great counterpuncher. Joseph figured this out in the Old Testament when he, and he tells his brothers this. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, he says, what you did for me, you had the purpose of evil behind it. You meant it to hurt but God is the ultimate counterpuncher. And God used what you meant to, to be for evil, what you meant to hurt me. God used it for good, and many people are going to be saved because of it. So turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I want to look at a, a, a passage that I would say demonstrates God's great counterpunch for you and I. Romans, chapter 8. Starting in verse 28. And it reads. And we know that for those who love God. All things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see our God is such a skilled counterpuncher. That all things work together for good. And it doesn't. It does not say that for those who love God, that, that all things that happen are good because some things in life are just bad. I mean, whoever told you that believing in God will keep bad things from happening to you and that only good will come to you because of your faith, they lied to you. I mean, if you've been told that Jesus came to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy... Well, that person lied to you. It's just not the truth. 
in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's what Jesus tells us in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. This verse does not say that all things are good. It says that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Some things are just flat out bad. And you can call it out for what it is. It was bad. You don't have to pretend that it was good. You don't have to force a smile on your face because you're a Christian. You can state plainly, that was bad and I'm not happy about it. But here's the good news in the midst of bad things. With God, the bad things that happen to you, they don't have to define you. Nor do they have to defeat you. And our God is so powerful, so sovereign, so skilled at counterpunching that he can take the bad that was meant to hurt you and use it for good. Our God can take the worst of the worst and turn those things into good. I mean, look what he did to the cross. The cross was once a symbol of death. It was an instrument of torture. People who died on a cross were believed to be cursed. It, it, it was the worst of the worst. It was the electric chair of the day. It was the guillotine. It was, it was in the ancient world, it was the, the epitome of death and torture and bad. People did not decorate their homes with crosses. People didn't put it on a chain around their neck and wear it as a, as a symbol of their faith. No, it was, it, was, it, was, it was wretched. It was horrible. I mean, imagine if you were to walk into a church today and find a hangman's noose hanging behind the preacher. Throw that up there, David, just so we can see, get a good image. All right. Did I not put it in there? Well, fooey on me. Right here, if you want to look on my notes. Fine, you just use your imaginations. Imagine, instead of a cross, there's a hangman's noose. You walk, I mean, how ominous would that be? And the greeter comes in and hands you a bulletin and says, welcome. And look you in the eye and they say, do you believe? You look up at that noose and you go, ah, yes, I do believe. I believe I'll leave. Satan meant for Jesus to die in the most torturous, public, and shameful way, demonstrating to the whole world that God was defeated. But our God is the ultimate counterpuncher. And what was once the symbol of death and shame, it's now the symbol of life, of hope, of victory. What Satan meant for evil, God meant it for good, and lots of people are saved because of it. But it's not just the bad things that God uses for our good. The verse says all things. Which means that our God will also take, he'll, he'll also make use of the mundane things. The things that seem pointless. The everyday boring things. Our God can use those things for your good. I mean, we readily see how God can use good. But, but the bad and the boring, God can use those things too. All things work together for good. It's one of the great and precious promises of God. But not everybody gets that promise. It says, here, look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, that promise is for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. People love to quote this verse when something bad happens. 
But you really can't quote this verse to somebody who doesn't love God. I mean, it's just not for them. And frankly, if they don't love God, if you were to quote a Bible verse to them, they probably don't want to hear a Bible verse anyway. That's just part of when you are upset or angry or don't love God. The other thing is, is uh, the promise doesn't apply to them. And, you know, but rather than figuring out who to quote the verse to, our, the question we really need to wrestle with today is, does this promise apply to you? Take it personal. Let's not look at others. Let's look at us. You see, most people, most people love the idea of God, but not everyone actually loves God. People love the idea of an all-knowing, all-powerful God who hears your prayers and acts on your behalf on occasion. They love the idea of, of, of God and the hope that that brings, but that's not the same as actually loving God. See, real love results in action. If there's no action, then what you have is sentiment, not love. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because Jesus knows the difference between sentiment and genuine love. And God is not interested in our sentiment. If you want to love God the way God wants to be loved, then your love will naturally rise above feelings and it will show forth in action. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Romans eight twenty eight, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The promises for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you know what your life purpose is? Let me ask it another way. Does your love for God result in a life of obedience so that it appears that you are living for the purposes of God? Or does your life appear as though you are living for you, your goals, your time, your finances, your schedule, your dreams, your purposes? I mean, when your family one day writes your eulogy to be read at your funeral, Will they say that you live for the purposes of God or will they say that you lived for you? Daddy worked hard. He loved golf. He loved to travel. He loved fishing. Or will they say, Daddy loved God and I saw it in how he lived, how he treated people, how he spent his time. I mean, it's one thing to ask if you're living for the purpose of God, but let's ask another question. Not, are you living for the purpose of God? Have you been called? That's what it says. Who've been called according to those purposes. Jesus says in John six forty four, he says, no one could come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, nobody comes to Jesus on their own. Before a person makes the decision to follow Jesus, before a person chooses to give their life to Christ, God is always at work. God is at work bringing that person to the point of decision. And everyone who is saved has a unique story of what God was doing in their life to bring them to that point. God always goes first. Have you had a time when you realized that you needed God? Because if you realized it, God showed that to you. Have you had a point in your life where you're like, I need a Savior? I am a sinner, I have done wrong, I am not worthy of 
being in God's presence, I need to be saved. Have you had a time when you responded to the call of God to be saved? And I use that word time rather than a moment. Like, because I can point to my life, I'll point to November 17th, 1991 as the day that I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. My wife, on the other hand, she can't point to that day and time. But both of us, we can both tell you for certain, our life belongs to Christ. Have you had a time where you have, by your own will, said, you know what, I need God, I need to be saved. And you heard his call and you responded. John 1.12 says, this is Jesus, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you believed? Have you received? Have you been called unto some de- to salvation? Is God calling you today? Maybe God has been working on you, leading you up to this point, and he's brought you into this place today, and you are here today because God is drawing you to himself, wanting you to believe and to receive his son Jesus and be saved and become a child of God. And if you've been called into salvation, then you've been called according to his purposes. You may not have been living according to his purposes, And God has brought you here today to awaken you to that end. He has something better for you than your purposes. And here's the truth that people miss. Everyone who is called into salvation is called to discipleship. People wrongly assume that being a disciple of Jesus, well, that is for the the super serious Christians not for average, everyday people. That's just wrong. God sent Jesus not only to save you from sin and death, but to save you to life. That's why Jesus says in John 10.10, he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. He didn't say that he came so that you may have life and have it eternally, which is what most people assume. He said that he came so that you can have life and, and have it abundantly. That comes from following Jesus and growing as his disciple. To be called according to his purposes is to be called not only into salvation, but also to be called into growth as a disciple. And for those who love God beyond sentiment, they love him with action and obedience, and who are growing in the purposes of God as a disciple, God promises that all things will work together for good. Pretty great. So what is this good? It's not a subjective good where you just get to figure that out and decide what you think is good. It's, it's, not, as though, um, it's not as though you are... Uh, the, the verse means that you've been in a car accident and you broke your leg and that's bad and somehow God is going to turn that into the good of a new car and a new leg. That's not what that verse means. We, we humans, we tend to think of good in materialistic terms. We view good in terms of stuff. But, but God's got a higher view of good. He views good in spiritual terms. So it comes to us not in the form of stuff, but rather in the form of character. In verse 28, we're told that all things work together for the good. In verse 29, 
we're told what that good is. Let me read them both together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The good that God is working all things together for is so that you and I will be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. I mean, do you think God is impressed with wealth? Do you think God looks at a Bill Gates or a Donald Trump and goes, wow, that's impressive. Look at all they got. Do you think God looks at some Saudi Arabian prince with a multi-million dollar yacht and says, wow, that's so luxurious. I wish I had one of those. God is not impressed with our stuff. The stuff of earth is cheap in comparison to the stuff of heaven. In fact, in heaven, the streets are made out of gold. We use the most worthless stuff to pave our streets. They use gold in heaven. The stuff of earth does not compete with the stuff of heaven. God is not impressed with our stuff. What impresses God is faith. Faith expressing itself in love. That is what God sees as good. And nobody ever did that better than Jesus. God wants to give you something better than stuff. He wants to give you a heart like Jesus. He wants to give you a faith like Jesus. He wants to give you a love like Jesus. Think think for a moment about everything in your life that stresses you out. Everything in your life that worries you. Everything that's a problem for you. Now imagine that Jesus were to come to you and said, hey, I want you to take a break today. I got this. Today you rest. Today I'm going to live life for you. I'm going to be handling all your problems. I'm going to be taking care of all your responsibilities. You rest. I got this. Now which one of your problems would stress Jesus out? You think he would be worried about your finances? Health? Conflicts? See, God wants to give you something better than stuff. He wants to give you a heart and mind like his son Jesus. Which one of your problems would stress Jesus out so much that when the day is finally done and he's finally finished, he comes back to you and he goes, I'm glad I'm not you. I don't know how you do it. I don't think there's one part of our lives that would stress Jesus out. You know, I mean, God could cause you to become the next lottery winner. And in short order, you could have access to all the stuff of earth. But it wouldn't get rid of your problems. What it would do is you would trade some problems for different problems. And then you would have new, a new set of problems that you have no experience dealing with. God doesn't want to give you stuff. He wants to give you a heart and mind and a peace like Jesus. To be called according to his purpose means to be called to grow as a disciple. To grow to be like Jesus. There is no greater good that God could give you in this life than to have a heart and a mind and a peace and a love like Jesus Satan comes against you. 
Life tries to hit you hard, and no matter what comes, good, bad, or boring, God's got a counterpunch ready to throw on your behalf. And better than, it's better than you having to develop the skill on yourself to, there's a new problem, and I have to have the skill to deal with that problem. No, God says, I got this. You love me. You grow as my disciple. You, you submit to my purposes in your life. I'll make everything work for that good. So that you could become more like Jesus. In this life, with the great multitude of troubles that can visit you, you need a good counterpunch. And God promises to be just that. The Apostle Paul, as he writes about this great truth of God, this, this great promise of God, he begins to make application for life. And in verse 31, Romans eight thirty-one, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Our God can counterpunch any attack. Our God in his wisdom can turn setbacks into setups. Our God in his power can deal with any problem. Our God in his great love can take the worst of the worst and bring forth the very best. If, if God is for us, then, then who can be against us? Verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave to us his only begotten son. And if God would give us that great gift, then why would he not give to us things of lesser value? He gave us Jesus. What more could he give? Like that first song that we sang this morning. I love that song. No better word than from your lips. No perfect life than what you live. No greater gift. No, not one. If he gave us Jesus, how's he ever going to top that? And Why would he withhold from us lesser things? Verse 33. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And he answers it. It's God who justifies. Who's going to bring a charge against that? He says, verse 34, who is to contemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, was raised. And he's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He says, look, who's going to condemn us? Jesus died for our sins. And then he was raised to life. And now he's sitting at God's right hand. And he's praying for you. If God is for us, who could be against us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing's going to separate us. And then in verse 37, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what that means to be more than a conqueror? To conquer means to come up against a foe, to come up against a problem and overcome it. To be more than a conqueror is to come against that same foe, that same problem, and to take the best shot that they can give you and utilize it for your advantage. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. In all things that happen in life, in the attacks, of, the attacks that Satan musters, through him who loves us, we're more than conquerors. You see, as you become more and more like Jesus, as you grow as his disciple, that ability to counter the tough things in life just becomes part of who you are. And you don't get beat down. You don't stay down. You get up. 
with a God counterpunching for you, there's nothing you can't come back from. Because He can turn all things into good. He ends, verse 38. He says, for I'm sure, I'm convinced this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. There's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, no matter how you've fallen down, you can come back, you can get up. He can take that setback and turn it into a setup. That's his promise. Is the promise for you. Do you love God with your life? Have you been called? Scripture says God desires all men to be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth. Has God been working your life to bring you to this point? So that you can believe and receive and be saved. I want to ask my musicians to go ahead and come up. And y'all go ahead and start playing softly. We want to take a moment and just respond to God and His Word. Is God working in you today? You see, the words of preacher really don't have a whole lot of value apart from the God who says them. Apart from the Holy Spirit moving. And I know this because God did it in my life and I've seen him do it in many others. He's always working. He loves you. He's been doing things to wake you up. To get your attention. To awaken you to your need so that you would stop living for you and live for something better and higher. Live for him. And he's done the hard work and the heavy lifting. And he's brought you to this place so that you can receive the salvation he promises only through his son Jesus. There's not a hundred ways to heaven. There's not even five. There's one. God kept it simple. Have you believed and have you received? And so I want to just ask, this is a time for you to deal with God, but let me pastor you. I want every eye bowed, every, every eye closed, every head bowed. But if you would say to me, say, Bob, God is speaking to me. I've been in places, things have been going on. And I know God is calling me today. And I need salvation God is showing me that I can't do this on my own and I need him and I need to receive his son Jesus if God is talking to you today about the condition of your soul I want you to slip your hand up in the air so that I could know that he's talking to you I want to pray for you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. I see you, sir. Thank you. 
See, our God is always at work. He loves people. He's made a way so that our mistakes won't be held against us. He gave us His Son, Jesus. Anyone else? This is for if God is talking to you about being saved, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just flip that hand up in the air. Good, thank you. Now with every head still bowed and every eye closed, God's not talking to you today about your salvation. You did that. You received that. You responded and you gave him your life. And you know today that, that if life were to end, that, that, that you would be greeted and he would tell you, welcome home, my child. But God today is talking to you about your character. That you've, you've let him save your soul, but now you need to let him save your ways. That, that, that life abundantly, you are not experiencing it because you are not walking in the ways of a disciple. You're not following Jesus. You're still doing it your way. You've been called according to his purposes, but you're living by your own. And God is talking to you today about how you're living and what's going on in your life. Wanting you to take a new step, a step of repentance and to walk in his ways. If God is talking to you about your character today, would you lift your hand up the air and let me pray for you? I see you. And I see you too. Thank you. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am. Thank you. What a great God we have. He doesn't just let us go off on our own. He shepherds us and brings us back. Anyone else? God is talking to you about your character. Father God, I thank you for your great love compassion, patience. I thank you that you do the work that we cannot do. Thank you for Jesus who gave his life on that cross for our sins and who has risen and is sitting at your right hand interceding for us. Father, I pray in these moments as we sing to you and about you, God, that those that you're speaking to, that you would help them take those next steps that they might deal with what you are bringing to them today. For those who said that they raised their hand, they needed salvation, Father God, I pray, Lord God, that that in this moment, that that can be them. And now with every eye still bowed and every, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're one here today, salvation is what you're talking about. It was what God's talking to you about. I just want to lead you in a prayer. This is what the Bible says, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I just want you to pray with you about that. If that's you, I'm just going to say a prayer. There's no magic words, but I just invite you to 
pray that in your own heart. And if you mean it, God sees it. God will save you. There's no magic words. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I think the prayer was something like this. Pray this if this is what's on your heart. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done things that I know you are not pleased with. But I believe that you love me still. And I believe that you sent Jesus. And I believe in his death on the cross for my sins. And I believe in his resurrection. Jesus, I give you my life now. I belong to you. I ask you to save me for eternity and save me to the life that you promised. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to walk with you all the days of my life until you call me home. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, let's celebrate that. It's a great God that we get to celebrate. I want you, if you prayed and you asked Jesus, you gave him your life today, to come, let me celebrate with you. They're going to be singing a song that rocks my socks off. And we're going to celebrate it. But I just invite you to come. I invite you to come. You've now become part of God's family. You come. It takes a little bit of bravery, but you got it. You got it. All right?